0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is the evidence-based podcast that looks into various paranormal occurrences that happen here in the United States. I'm your host Michelle, and even though I'm a skeptic by nature, I really do want to be a believer. I'm both intrigued by the paranormal and really open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I will present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode takes us out to sunny Key West, Florida, and this is the haunted history of the East Martello Fort. Now, of course, before I get into the haunted reports, I'm going to give you a brief history on the fort itself, as it does play a role in the haunted occurrences that are stated to happen at this place. So just before the official start of the Civil War, in January of 1861, the state of Florida seceded from the Union, and in 1862, the Army actually began constructing the East Martello Fort to protect against a possible attack at sea. Though, oddly enough, the Union Army is actually the army that held the fort and was protecting itself against a Confederate attack. And this was odd because, remember, Florida has seceded from the Union, so it was a Confederate state. And then we have a majority of the citizens in Florida who also support the Confederacy, though in their state is a fort that is held by Union troops. Just a little odd. So this turmoil between the Union officials that were running and building the fort and the Confederate citizens led to quite a number of delays in the construction of the fort itself. And in addition to this kind of rivalry, uh, the weather also really impeded construction. Um, For those of you not familiar with Florida, they have a lot of tropical storms. There's hurricanes that hit usually every season. And it's pretty hot, it's pretty humid all year round, and not the best conditions for working outside. In addition to this, in July of 1862, not long after construction had begun, A yellow fever outbreak hit the area. So instead of building the fort, much of the efforts for those who were not ill was actually in building coffins for the dead as there were so many people that passed away during that time. A couple months later, in October of 1862, as the weather cooled down and people's health returned, construction continued on the fort. Then, in June of 1864, about two years after the first outbreak, Yellow Fever hit yet again. Again, a lot of lives were taken with this new outbreak, and of course, the construction for the fort was stalled again. In October of 1865, the fort was hit by a pretty large hurricane, which damaged quite a bit of the fort, as well as delayed construction again. The fort was taking a toll as far as trying to get completed, and once the war ended, they actually didn't need the fort any longer. So in 1866, the army ceased working on it before it was ever completed. At this point, the fort had never been armed, it never saw battle, the only thing it had been used for really was as a Civil War prisoner camp. After 1866, the fort sat abandoned until the year 1885, and at that point, the government began reading the fort for use, and they did it actually just in time for the beginning of the Spanish-American War, which started in 1898. During the Spanish-American War, the fort was used for barracks, storage, as well as lookout posts. For four decades, it functioned in these purposes till again it was abandoned and, of course, never saw battle during the Spanish-American War either. Now, after World War II, they did reopen the fort and it was used as a training facility for both the army as well as the navy. Though after a time, of course, the fort was still not finished at this point, it was kind of seeing better days. So the Army and Navy stopped using it and actually gave it to the Key West Art and Historical Society. And why this group wanted it is they wanted to restore the building and use it as a museum. After they had acquired it, the Key West Art and Historical Society renovated the fort extensively. And they did this with the help of a lot of volunteers. In 1950, the fort did open up as a history and art museum, and in 1972, it became a National Historic Site. Part of the museum, the art gallery itself, was actually designed by a man named Robert Eugene Otto, who was a really prominent author and artist in the area. In addition to Robert Eugene Otto designing the gallery at the museum, he also does come into play with quite a bit of the haunted reports. Though he is not the actual one haunting, I will get into what his association with the hauntings is in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to get into some of the general hauntings that are said to be going on at the East Martello Fort. In general, people will feel various cold spots throughout the facility. They will also hear and see doors opening and closing on their own, as well as locking and unlocking on their own. Many will also report being touched. They will hear whispers and voices throughout the facility. And really, there have been reports of up to 42 spirits that are haunting the halls of the East Martello Fort. And one of those 42 spirits is associated with the man I mentioned earlier, Robert Eugene Otto. Though, as I said, it's not his spirit that's actually inhabiting the Fort East Martello, but it is a spirit associated with him. This spirit is actually probably the most famous spirit that is inhabiting the Fort East Martello, and it is actually the reason why a majority of visitors visit the museum itself. And that is because Robert Eugene Otto's childhood toy was Robert the doll. If you haven't heard of Robert the doll, I'm pretty surprised. He is a very, very famous haunted doll, probably the most famous haunted doll, um, other than maybe Annabelle. But let me get into the story of what is said to be going on with Robert the doll. In 1904, Robert the doll was made by the Steiff Company in Germany. And per that company's historian, Robert the doll was actually likely a -a one-of-a-kind doll that was made for a window display. As a child, the painter and author Robert Eugene Otto acquired Robert the doll and actually named the doll after himself. And in order to avoid any confusion, I am going to call the owner, whose name is Robert Eugene Otto, I'm going to call him Otto by his last name. And the doll, I'm going to refer to as either Robert the doll or the doll. And there are many different stories as to how Otto actually came to acquire the doll. But the most probable theory is that his grandfather had gifted the doll to Otto after he had taken a trip to Germany. And with records, with ancestry and so forth, there is record of his time in Germany that does back up this theory. Robert the doll is actually just over 40 inches tall, so he's about three feet tall, and he's made of a fabric that is stuffed with a material called wood wool, and wood wool, if you kind of look at it, you feel it, it has like a straw-like look and texture, and Robert the doll also wears a sailor outfit, though this outfit is actually not the outfit that was originally on Robert the doll. This was actually an outfit that had once belonged to Otto. You can actually see some pictures of Otto wearing the sailor outfit before he put it on Robert the doll. And I will post some of those pictures on social media so you can see that as well. In addition to this, Robert the doll also is holding on to his favorite toy, which is Robert the doll has a stuffed dog. As a child, Otto reported that Robert the doll would make really bad things happen. But really, any mischievous event that would happen in the home got blamed on Robert the doll. Otto apparently was an angelic child who never did anything, but his doll was the malicious, mischievous one. Otto would have full conversations with the doll, and they were pretty inseparable. He really carried this doll with him everywhere. They would play in the yard together, they would watch TV together, and eventually he carried on full conversations with the doll and would use different voices for him and for the doll. One account that was stated is that Otto's mother awoke in the middle of the night to the sound of Otto screaming, and she could also hear furniture being moved around in Otto's room. When she entered his room, she found Robert the doll sitting on the end of the bed, and Otto was terrified. He was screaming. All of his toys had been mutilated, and all of the furniture in his room had been moved around. When his mother asked what had happened, Otto stated that Robert the doll had did it. Later on, an aunt came to live with the family, and she really became concerned about the relationship between Robert the doll and Otto. She was worried and suggested that the doll be locked away, and the parents kind of agreed with her, so they ended up locking Robert the doll in a box and storing him in the attic. The next day, the aunt was found dead. The parents were so sure that it was because of Robert the doll that they actually unlocked him and gave him back to Otto. As Otto grew up, of course, he couldn't stay at home. He had to kind of get his education and start living his life. So while he attended college, he actually left the doll at his house. He went to New York to pursue an art degree and from New York ended up in Chicago. After Chicago, he ended up in Paris, where he met his future wife, Annette Parker. In 1930, the two were married and eventually moved back to the mansion in Key West. At that time, Robert the Doll was sitting there waiting for him, and he ended up turning one of the towers of the home into his own personal art studio. In his art studio, this is actually where he kept Robert the Doll with him. Reportedly, Otto treated Robert the doll as if he were actually alive. He even designed a room in the tower for the doll that had its own bed, and this is where he gave Robert his own stuffed dog. Now, Annette Parker, Otto's wife, was said to have been pretty weary of the doll. She asked that it be kept locked away upstairs, as she was really creeped out and didn't want it in their main home of course, happy wife, happy life. So Otto kept the doll upstairs with him. And people passing by the home would report seeing Robert the doll looking out at them through the window. And when they noticed him looking at them, he would actually vanish from the window. And this was strange as remember the doll was locked away and this was happening at times when the family members weren't home. It was also reported that Visitors to the home would hear footsteps in the attic, even though there was no one upstairs. And one account from a plumber who was fixing some pipes at the home stated he was working in the kitchen, and Robert the doll was in one corner of the room. While he was under the sink fixing the sink, he heard giggling, and when he turned around, Robert the doll was on the other side of the room, even though no one had entered the room with him. Annette and Otto remained in their home with the doll until the two died. Otto died first in 1974, and his wife followed him two years later in 1976. Before Annette died, she had it written in her will that the doll was to remain locked in the cedar closet in the attic, and this was to stay in effect even after she had passed and sold the house. When the house was bought by a woman named Myrtle Ruder, she acquired Robert the doll in the sale. She ended up staying in the home for six years, and when she moved out, she actually took Robert the doll with her, even though Myrtle Ruder's daughter claimed that the doll was evil and wanted to kill her. Myrtle herself reported that the doll would move around the house on its own, and after owning Robert the doll for about 20 years, she ended up donating him to the museum. After she had donated him to the museum, a few months later, she ended up passing away. Robert the doll now stays in a display case at the museum that is locked and monitored by cameras and various devices. It is said that once Robert the doll arrived at the museum, Electronic devices and cameras would malfunction. There's also been many claims that he will change positions, you will hear him giggling, and even his facial expressions will change. And if you want to see Robert the Doll for himself, you should be aware of what you need to do when you meet him. If you want to take a picture of or with Robert the Doll, you should ask permission. Now, he won't say anything at all, but just asking permission is said to be enough. If you do not ask permission or you are mean towards Robert the doll, bad things are said to have happened. One instance of this is there was a young couple who had visited Robert the doll, and the man, he wasn't really concerned about Robert the doll. He said everything was fake, He was kind of bad-talking Robert the Doll, making fun of him, taking pictures without permission. No issues happened while they were at the museum, but the couple went and got on the motorcycle and started off away from the East Martello Fort. While they were riding on the motorcycle, all of a sudden, the man lost control of the motorcycle and both of them were in an accident. The young man was killed, unfortunately, though the girl ended up surviving. And the tale she had to tell was pretty creepy. She stated that while they were on the motorcycle, all of a sudden she could hear the laughter of Robert the Doll. And that's when her boyfriend lost control of the motorcycle. And that's when he was killed. There are hundreds and hundreds of these stories. Some, you know, not resulting in death, but many people who experience things after taking the picture of Robert without asking, or of making jokes towards him. And this is one of the reasons why Robert the Doll receives a ton of letters every year. He has an average of three letters a day, which is over a thousand letters in a year. That's definitely more than probably most people get in ten years. And these letters are mainly asking Robert the doll to forgive them for disrespecting him and asking him to please lift the curse that he has put upon them. Now, of course, Robert the doll, as I said, is the most popular display at the museum and many people come to visit him. And now that we have the tales of where Robert the doll came from, how he's haunting the place, how he affects others, it's time to dive into the facts on Robert the doll First off, there are no firsthand accounts from the Otto family. And Otto was the youngest of four children, but no reports that I read actually refer to either of his brothers or his sisters. There are no records or stories mentioning them. The only way I found out he had brothers and sisters is in the ancestry records. So I find it strange that his mother, his father, his brothers and sisters lived in the house with him, And nobody has a first-hand account written down or in a book or anything stating what had happened. And Otto himself, nothing from him either. And as far as the aunt, who is said to have died after having the doll locked away in the attic, it was said that she was elderly and that she died of a stroke and that fearful after this, the parents brought the doll out again to be safe. Well, this is a false report. Her, her obituary, she actually did die at her sister's home, but it was after a long-term illness. It wasn't anything that was sudden and the cause from Robert the Doll. Another thing to think about is, to get to, into the East Martello Fort, there are admission tickets which are sold. And again, remember, Robert the Doll is the most famous figure and why so many admission tickets sell. Robert the doll is so famous, he even has his own caretaker who handles his social media account. Yes, he has his own Instagram and everything. She is the one who opens and responds to his mail. She takes care of his case, and once a month she takes him out and cleans everything. So you have to think they must be making a ton of money selling admission tickets and on marketing for him as they are able to pay a person just to do this service. Now, before I move on from Robert the doll, I do want to give an honorable mention to his owner, Robert Eugene Otto. It was actually really difficult to research his legacy as it has been greatly overshadowed by the doll. If you research his name, you will not find his books, you will not find his artwork, you will just find out the haunted reports of his doll. And Otto was a really prominent painter He has tons of works. He's published many books and his paintings are actually pretty good but it's very difficult to find them. So I will post some on social media just so you can see and we can kind of honor his legacy a little bit more than by the toy he owned as a child. Now moving on from Robert the doll I'm going to get into the next haunted reports and this is of a technically a couple. This star with a man named Carl Tonsler, and Carl was a German immigrant who had moved to the area of Florida in 1926. When he moved here, he left his wife and two kids back in Germany and became an x-ray tech at the local marine hospital that was on base. On April 22nd of 1930, a 21-year-old woman was brought to the hospital as a patient, Her name was Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos, but she went by Helen, as what I will call her for the rest of the episode. When she was admitted to the hospital, she had tuberculosis and had been checked into the facility with a couple others who were suffering from the same condition. Upon seeing her, 53-year-old Carl recognized her from a dream he had had in his childhood. And in this dream, she was his true love. So when he saw her, reportedly he fell in love at first sight, even though he knew her prognosis with the tuberculosis was grim. During her treatment, he had various romantic gestures he offered her, he proposed to her in marriage many times, but she always turned him down. And he felt this was in part due to her sickness, but... He felt that with his expertise that he could actually cure her of her affliction. He continued to treat her at the base for some time, though she was getting worse as her condition progressed. Helen and her family wanted her to be able to live her final time back at the house, so she went home against Carl's wishes. And at first, the family and Helen refused to let him to continue to treat her, though after he had tried for many months and gave lots of education, they finally agreed to let him continue his treatment with her. He would visit her every day after work, continue treatments with her, continue to display romantic gestures. He would give her many expensive gifts. But with all of this, Helen still ended up passing away on October 25th of 1931. Carl paid for her funeral and made a tomb at the local cemetery for her. And he visited her every day for 18 months at the cemetery. At the tail end of this 18 months, Carl started to hear Helen's voice coming from her casket. She would have conversations with him, telling him how he could save her, and various things like that. So he made a plan, and after that 18-month period, actually stole her body from the tomb and locked it. When he took her, she had, of course, already started to decompose, as she had been here for a year and a half. He wanted to preserve her body further, so he kept her condition up and made it actually better, in his thoughts, by using piano wire and wire hangers to keep her bones connected. He also took pieces of silk dipped in wax and plaster to replace her decomposed skin. Her eyes, of course, had sunken and were gone, so he put glass eyes in place and made a death mask of her face which is a mold pretty much taken of a person's face. So he made this death mask and put it over her face so that she could maintain her beauty even in death. He had also acquired some of her hair previously um, given to him actually by her mother, and he used this to make a wig and put over the death mask to make her look more like she did in life. He then filled her body with rags to keep and dressed her in various clothings while keeping her in his own bed. Yes, he slept with her. He used various perfumes, disinfectants, flowers, things like that to aid in keeping the smell down, and he would also keep her hydrated and used preservatives to help keep her from decomposing further and, of course, smelling bad. While she shared his bed, he did not have. Sexual relations with her, as he wanted to wait till she woke up and they could be married, but he often kissed and cuddled her. He even kept her fed, and how he would do this is he would put the food and liquid into his own mouth and put his mouth to hers in a such a way to make sure that the food went down correctly and entered her stomach. He would keep daily weights on her, all sorts of things, because This might sound crazy to any of us who know what's going on, but in his mind, she really wasn't dead. She was actually just waiting to be reanimated, and he had a special way that he was going to revive her using a tank filled with various fluids and things like that. Though his plan never came into fruition, as after seven years of keeping Helen's corpse, the family started becoming suspicious. They had heard some rumors that people stated that he had her body, and they noticed that he wasn't visiting the tomb anymore either. So the family asked Carl if they could see Elena's body. When they originally asked, he refused, but the family then threatened to have the law let them into the tomb. He didn't really have a choice, so he finally relented and told them what had happened he brought the family over to his place and showed them Helen's body. The family was, of course, horrified and contacted authorities who later showed up to retrieve Helen's body and arrest Carl. When the authorities showed up, the conditions, as you can imagine, were horrible. There is a seven-year-old decomposing body with preservatives, flowers, various perfumes. you got to think it was disgusting. The examiners had a horrible, difficult time trying to get everything together due to the smells, various conditions, and all that. But at the end, they were able to retrieve Helen's body and they did arrest Carl for body snatching. Then, poor Helen's body was not buried and put back into its tomb. Her body was actually displayed in a nearby funeral home before it was returned to the family. So after she had already had a funeral, been buried, been taken out of her casket, kept for seven years by some man, and now she's put on display with thousands of people coming to view her body because at this point, it had become a media whirlwind. After the thousands of people had viewed the body, the family was able to take possession of Helen's corpse and buried her in an undisclosed location. And this was done not only so that Carl would not be able to find her body, but it was also so the thousands of curious onlookers would not be able to do anything to her grave, unbury her, things like that. And the reason people might want to do that is, it might sound weird, but many people actually sided with Carl. They thought of him as a hopeless romantic who was very much in love, This led to people sending him gifts, visiting him in jail, bringing him baked goods, and people even were requesting and writing letters that he get Helen's body back. Yeah, people wanted him to get her dead corpse back. Interesting. Carl ended up going to trial, but oddly enough, he was not indicted. And this is because he got off on a technicality. Because he had had her body for over seven years, it was outside the statute of limitations and he could not be charged with the crime. Carl went back to his house, but he was not able to ever recover Helen's body. And in July of 1952, the poor broken-hearted man was found dead in his home at the age of 75. It is said that he died of suicide with her. Helen's death mask, and a metal cylinder with a robe wrapped around it to create a life-sized representation of Helen. Now, this is the most widely accepted story, though per Carl's death certificate, as well as newspaper accounts, he actually died of natural causes in his home at old age. Though his body wasn't actually discovered for three weeks, and there was the life-size representation of Helen. Now, it wasn't the original death mask, but there was a death mask in his home. Carl and Helen are said to be haunting the Fort East Martello, and you might be wondering why. And if you are wondering that, I would probably be wondering the same thing with you. Now, Carl and Helen didn't actually have any connection to the East Martello Fort. The only connection they have is there is a display at the fort that kind of tells their story. You'll see a fake looking crypt, you'll see a death mask, things like that. But before this display was put in the museum, they had never visited it. They had not worked here. Remember, Carl was at the Marine Base and Helen had just been there for treatment. They had not been to this location. There are some people who state that Helen haunts the funeral home where she was displayed for the thousands of people, but again, I don't know why the couple would be haunting this place. Uh, One thing I do want to mention before I move on from this story is I was really intrigued by this story, and there is actually an autobiography that Carl wrote himself that talks about everything from when he had the dream to how he met Helen to everything that's going on in his mind and all the things he did to preserve and try and save Helen. It is rather interesting. It's pretty short. You can read it probably in an hour, but it is really creepy, interesting, sad, all of that at the same time. I'll post a link On social media if you want to read that. Again, it's very interesting and there's nothing too creepy in it apart from the fact that you're like, what is going on with this guy's mind? But hey, to each their own. Again, it's interesting and worth a read if you might be intrigued by this story at all, which I can't imagine who wouldn't be, especially if you're into paranormal. But again, I don't know that he would actually be haunting this place and not, you know, Elena's tomb, where her body might have gone, things like that. Now, the last account of which spirit is said to be haunting the Fort East Martello, and this is a man named Stanley Papio. He went by, aka, the Junkyard Rebel. And Stanley, he was a sculptor who used junk to create art, you know, like old tire rims, old pieces of metal. He would create artwork out of various things. His artwork is actually on display at East Martello, and his beard is said to haunt here in various methods. Now, Stanley did pass away in 1982 of a heart attack, though prior to his death, he actually had no connections to the fort itself. His art was actually not put on display until after his death. So unless maybe his spirit is tied to some of his art pieces, I'm not sure why he would choose to spend his afterlife here and not you know, with family and at home, something like that. So as far as Robert the Doll, Carl and Helen, Stanley Papio, I don't really see how any of them are actually spirits that are haunting here. But that's not to say that it is not a haunted place. As if you remember earlier in the episode, think of all the spirits of the soldiers and sailors who had passed away of yellow fever. There was a lot of military people who died during that time. So it definitely could be haunted. But other than these military people, all the spirits are associated with displays in the place. So it seems more of a marketing ploy than actually something going on haunted-wise. So unless you might believe that the spirits of these people who died of yellow fever might be haunting the fort, I don't know of any other spirits that might. Definitely worth a checking out, but I would like to hear your thoughts on whether you think it's haunted or not. Maybe you've had a personal experience with Robert the Doll that you'd like to share, or you just have some other facts. I'd also love to hear your feedback on this episode and suggestions you may have for a future episode. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday wherever you tune in and don't forget to leave a review. You can also follow this podcast so you know as soon as a new episode is ready wherever you tune in. You can follow on social media for more information on each episode, including pictures, links, and much, much more. You can follow on Instagram at the Paranormal Truth, on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, or you can always shoot an email over to Podcast at gmail.com Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.